All we wanted was to make good beer. Our ambition was never this big. We never look to be the biggest, but we do look to be the best. You know, community is a big drive of what we do. You know, a force for good and not just a, a cool ground with some awesome beer. Maybe one of the most important questions is... It's like asking, who's your favorite kid? 11 years in beer, we've seen so much change. The, the quality of the brewing industry in the UK just, you know, went from sort of mediocre to sky high. Don't ever think you're, you know, you've hit the top of success. The mission statement remains the same today as it did when we started the company. I wanted to do projects that were meaningful um, in their design, in their impact to the community. When you can find that kind of alignment, I think you can go out and do great things. The impact of what happens in those buildings is what matters most. You need that overarching vision that is enduring, that's, that stands the test of time. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Inspiring Industry Podcast, where we share our conversations with leaders from around the globe. I'm your host, Danielle Cham, and this is our final installment of 2023, and I cannot believe where this year has gone, but it has been such a cool year. The podcast has been able to share conversations on electric vehicles, AI, supply chain, and my absolute favorite was, of course, the Mercedes AMG Patronus F1 team interview. You can find all of those interviews on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. But in the spirit of Christmas and in the name of nostalgia, this episode, we are platforming two businesses in particular where the work means a little more than just the day-to-day -day running of a company. We hear from Bradley Cummings, the CEO and co-founder of Tiny Rebel Brewing Company in the UK, um, who is very passionate about the business going beyond its own little bubble. And he believes in his impact the environment, the influence that he has on customers, and just the ability to share great tasting beer with as many people as possible. Following that interview, we also spoke with Mark Hurrigan, the CEO of Hurrigan Construction, who is based in the US. And Mark has a really great outlook on the work that he does, having an impact on the people that occupy those spaces. So for him, the work isn't necessarily the type of projects that the company does, which is great, absolutely. But Mark is especially passionate about the difference that he's making and the spaces um, and the ways in which they get utilized. I might not necessarily be doing that justice, but you'll have to stay tuned and keep listening for more on the episode. Um, yeah, I was really inspired by both of these leaders, um, and I think they're both great reminders of how having an inner motivation just makes the work that we do so much more purposeful and so much more fulfilling. But enough from me. 
I'll hand over to Bradley, um, who kicks our conversation off um, with sharing a little bit more about how impressed he was <laughs> with the journey that the company has been on. Over to Bradley. Looking back on these 11 years, how does the business compare to what your original vision was for it? Has it become everything you hoped for? What we wanted was to make good beer, you know, get out to people, um, you know, so people could explore. That was what Tiny Rebel was all about, you know, making, you know, craft beer, you know, the drinkability side of it. Um, you know, and get people submerged in the in the brand, which the brand for for Tiny Rebel is it's a projection of of Gaz and I, what we're interested in. You know, when it comes down to beer names, branding, uh, ideas. But you know, we would have been happy way back when. You know, having a business just the two of us and and stayed in that for the rest of our lives. To be honest, our, our ambition was never this big. You know, and I, well, you know, I'll be honest with that. We never ever thought it could be as big as sort of it is now and have the love from the fan base that we've got. In our research, we noted that you were named Best Craft Beer, which is a massive achievement. What other highlights have happened for the business this year? And what do you think allowed for those milestones? Um, I think this year has been a, a buildup of the last probably two years, really. Um, this COVID where you know, the world tipped upside down and you know, we're trying to find our feet again on the back of that, you know, coming for, you know, at the back of 21, 22. So our main focus was, was rebuilding, um, you know, rebuilding and putting a big emphasis on people, you know, L and D, um, you know, upskilling, having the right people, um, building the right team, molding the right team culture. So it was a lot around, you know, building the foundation for us to then kick on again. Um, you know, sort of into that, you know, what the new world was about, you know, post-COVID. Um, and I think that set us up really, really well. You know, community is a big drive of what we do and also, you know, our sort of planet as well. So we sort of, the way I describe it, it's we, we, we've gone from being a bit a bit more infant or into being a, um, a more mature teenager. It's how we're on a business level. You know, where which will now become, you know, a force for good and not just a, you know, a cool brand with some awesome beer. And I think that sort of speaks into the next question. You mentioned community work. With Christmas coming up, what are some of the other initiatives that the company supports and why would you say they're important to you? Yeah, so Christmas is a big one that we do, but if, if I just started from sort of what we do throughout the year, um, last year we launched the Tiny Rebel Community Fund, um, which we we put a pot of money together, um, just raised by by the business out of our profit, uh, and from there people can um, they can apply, basically for 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 a grant if you want to call it that, um, where we support any sort of community projects or individual initiatives, you know, throughout the whole of the UK. Um, and we open that twice a year. We got one that we just opened now at close in October. So we do it twice a year. And I think we had around 250 people apply, you know, and they could be anything from, you know, anything from, from a personal level to, a, a, you know, someone wanted to do something good in the community. You know, it could be a, a community garden, you know, or helping a, a school. 
it can, it, can, it can be anything. And some of the, you know, we got an internal committee where we, we look at that and, you know, we, we select, um, you know, the, the winners, if you want to call it that. But yeah, that's one of the great initiatives that we've started. Um, jump into Christmas. We, we do um, meals for, for people in need on Christmas Day with, you know, people in the business, uh, you know, our friends, our family, everyone chips in and we cook around 350 meals that we also then deliver them, you know, throughout Newport. So that's a big thing that we do around Christmas. And then throughout the year with various charities that we work with, you know, whether it's donations or um, we got a, a big brewery and tap room um, and bar restaurant at the brewery where we give, you know, we give the, the facility, we give the venue out for free, you know, for charities to come in, you know, to do events to help raise money for their for themselves. Brilliant. Thanks, Brad. Um, just changing the subject quickly, some of the names for the beers clearly have some brilliant creativity and a bit of fun behind them as well. Um, so maybe one of the most important questions is which one is your favorite? It's like asking who's your favorite kid? Um, <laughs> um, and the, no, I think the great thing around beer within the industry now, um, and not just talking for ourselves, there's a beer for every occasion, right? Uh, you know, anything down to you know low non-alc, you know, up to a slightly higher ABV beer, sour, stout, you name it, IPA. I think that's that's the great thing. There's a there's a beer up there now, which is where you know the progression of craft beer within the UK has come on massively. And was massively accelerated then during COVID, um, you know, with people wanting to explore, you know, craft beer if they haven't been introduced or introduced it to already. Um, but my favorite beer is, is probably it's, it's my go-to. And I'm going to be biased. It's, it's Club Tropica. You know, it's uh, we we first created it back in 2014. You know, probably one of the at the time, you know, putting putting fruits into a beer wasn't really a a thing, you know, we're a bit of a live on that sort of innovation level. And it's been a, a beer that's not just stuck with us, but, you know, stuck with fans and people who love it. It's, uh, it was the, the beer, it was the first beer my mum ever, ever enjoyed and still drink. So if I can convert my mum to drinking beer, then, you know, I think, you know, we're on a, onto a winner for introducing craft beer to, to other drinkers. <laughs> You mentioned that the business aims to have a beer for every occasion. What are your thoughts on the non-alcoholic industry? Do you think that that's a sector that will continue to grow? Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, more, assuming, you know, on trade becoming braver, you know, you'll soon start seeing it on draft, you know, a bit more, a bit more regularly, you know, rather than just a can or a bottle in the fridge. You know, I definitely think there's a call for that. Um, Again, you know, 11 years in beer, we've seen so much change. Um, I feel like we're, we're a bit of the godfathers at the moment of, uh, of craft beer. You know, we've seen so much change in the industry and products and trends. Um, yeah, definitely with, with a new generation coming into beer, you know, they want something different. I drink non-alcoholic. You know, I think now one in three drinkers, you know, will either drink or try a non-alcoholic, you know, beer when they're, when they're out. Um, you know, so I think it's a great thing, one for health and one for choice. 
Following that, um, how would you say the brewing industry has changed, if at all, um, or evolved as a result of the pandemic? What sort of influence did COVID-19 and the hospitality shutdown have on the sort of um, innovation within the industry? Yeah, so I, I, you know, craft beer, I think, went through a, a huge sort of acceleration phase, um, you know, early, probably early 2015 to to the pandemic, you know, that's five years, you know, the amount of breweries that opened up, um, the amount of beer and choice out there was absolutely phenomenal. Um, the, and the quality of the brewing industry in the UK just, you know, went from, you know, sort of mediocre to, you know, to sky high, you know, and we all, you know, lifted our game up. You know, I think that was a great thing for, as a beer drinker, there was probably no better time, you know, and, and still now. But I think off the back of pandemic where, you know, there was so much choice out there um, and variety. I think now people have gone back out, you know, into the pub and they've sort of uh, fallen back into a bit of a go-to. You know, I don't see that choice, the big variety of choice is there as much as it was pandemic um i think it's still there in online e-commerce and breweries wanting to experiment you know but i think yeah people go out for a different experience now i think you know it's it is a lot more experience led you know when you go out you know try new venues it's not just about the beer it's not just about what you drink it you know it's it's the it's the atmosphere the ambiance it's it's everything the experience the customer service you know and that's what's really driving people out you and there's some great venues out there and brands at the moment in hospitality. On a more controversial note, how have you navigated working in a family business? Um, I think you mentioned that you've been working with your brother-in-law. Um, do you manage to keep work and family separate or is that a sort of ongoing process? <laughs> uh, we've learned over the last 11 years. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll tell, I'll tell you, I get, you know, Gaz and I, we work, we have, we, we work with each other every day for 11 years and, you know, our, uh, our, our relationship is, is as good as ever, you know, yeah, within business, you have ups and downs, but you know, we, we, when we first set Tiny Rebel up, it was never going to go beyond that. Um, you know, and we're a you know, we're proud to be independent, family run. Uh, and that ethos will never change, you know, no matter what the future holds, ethos is always going to stay the same. Uh, no, it's, it comes with challenges. Yeah. Like all things, but yeah, I think when you've got a passion and a love behind it, that's, you know, the, you, you see really hits people on an emotional level, then yeah, nothing else really matters then. As a leader that has built the business from scratch. What advice have you been given that has kept you motivated during some really challenging moments to get the business to where it is today? So I think the two, the two biggest things, and I, and I sort of tried to pin it down, is, is stay humble and teamwork. You know, they're, the, they're the two things for me that I, I always sort of reflect and go back to. Um, you're, you're not any better than the team around you. You know, and don't ever think you're, you know, you've hit the top of success. Because you'll never, you'll never get that. So they're, they're the two things for me. How would you describe what it's like to work for Tiny Rebel? What's the company culture like? Well, oh, there's, there's a lot of, yeah, drive and initiatives that we do. Um, 
the first thing starts from a staff survey, which we started two years ago. Uh, you know, when I said around, you know, really trying to put that foundation piece in and understand, you know, we're across Tiny Rebel, we, we employ 165 people. You know, 11 years ago, there was two of us. You know, we, we're, we're learning as we go, um, you know, massively. Uh, you know, our workforce is the heartbeat and drive of Tiny Rebel. You know, it's, it's no longer me and Gaz, you know. We're in it, you know. We're in the business every single day, you know, and every area of the business we cover. Um, so, you know, I, I like to think we got the trust of everyone. Um, but yeah, a lot of initiatives that we put in place, uh, things that we've sort of looked and signed into that would benefit them. So things like the real living wage, you know, things like zero hour contracts, you know, feedback. Uh, we put a lot into recruitment, uh, L and D. We put a lot into, you know, our benefits package for, for staff, you know, a real career progression across all the business uh, and that flexible working, fun environment, uh, you know, they're real sort of key drivers of, you know, of, of what makes Tiny Rebel tick. And what about the future? What can customers look forward to as we head towards 2024? Well, apart from the easiest... Uh, answer of Morbia, but no, I think, I think the main, <laughs> the main, main thing for us, uh, we, we've always had, um, you know, the, the, the drive and passion for us is, is always stemmed for all us getting beer out to as many people as possible. You know, you know, we want, we want to get tiny revenue into as many pubs and hands as we can, you know, and, uh, to, to win the hearts and minds of everyone. And that's what we're going to continue to do. And then next year we want to try and accelerate that. Um, you know, even more so than we have done in previous years. Brilliant, Brad. Thank you. And my final question, um, where would you like to see the business in five, 10 years time? What is the long-term vision for the company? Keep doing what we're doing, you know, keep innovating, uh, you know, keep driving us to be a force for good you know, across our, you know, people, community, planet. Uh, you know, I think the byproduct is, you know, we, we never look to be the biggest, you know, but we do look to be the best. Like, you know, that continuous improvement that we, that we always talk around internally, you know, we just want to be the best that we can be. You know, if that makes us one of the leading UK brewers, you know, all the top UK craft brewery, great, we're doing the right thing. So let's, you know, let's not take our eye off that. You know, we're just going to continue what we're doing. Um, it's working and we love to evolve as a business and as a brand. You know, we, we've got, you know, we love change. We love evolving, trying something new. You know, so that's what, you know, the next five years will become diversifying. So, yeah. I think what really stood out for me from the interview with Bradley was um, the work that the company does, especially around Christmas, because I think that for most of us in the industry, that's a time to shut down and to restore as we head into the new year. But I think that that time is also incredibly difficult. Um, not only for those, you know, who are just working in the industry um, from day to day, but I think because it's easy to take for granted what that time symbolizes for other people who may be less advantaged, uh, whatever the case may be. I thought it was very admirable that 
him and his team just keep going and give back. And whether that's making a meal for strangers or just reaching out, um, I think that sort of warmth goes a very long way. Next interview was really awesome. And it was such a cool time to be able to speak with Mark Hurrigan, who is the CEO of Hurrigan Construction. We now travel over to the US um, where we hear about Mark's journey in the construction industry and more so um, what makes the business important uh, is not necessarily the projects that they do, but the impact that the spaces they create has. For example, they work on hospitals, um, care centers, and I think that for Mark, being able to create spaces for other people to excel in their line of work was very on brand with Inspiring Industry. And I had a great conversation um, listening to the ethos that he's been able to carry throughout his career and how he has worked really hard to push that forward into his company culture. So I'll hand over to Mark. Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with me today. Um, so my research noted that Hurricane Construction is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Is that correct? We are. We absolutely are. Yes. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, I'd love to know some of the some of the milestones that have brought the business one the longevity, but also the success that's led to thirty years. I had the benefit of working for uh, a really great mentor um, who taught me the construction business before he retired. Um, and upon his retirement, I started our company in 1993. And what I, what I love about our company is the vision that we put forth, you know, 30 years ago the mission statement remains the same today um, as it did when we started the company. And for me, it was always about the relationships, the people, and becoming that trusted advisor. And I wanted to do projects that were meaningful um, in their design, in their impact to the community, and whatever. There's lots of ways to, to tackle this business and for me, I wanted to do the project that I thought would be most enduring and most impactful. So our mission statement back then was developing lifelong, uniquely remarkable relationships and buildings. And that is still our mission statement today. And it is, I think, the cornerstone of who we are and how we go about doing the work that we do. Love that. Absolutely love that. Um, or my my next question was really, how would you say Hurricane Construction separates itself from uh, competitors, but I think by the way you describe relationships, that's probably one of the key factors. It is, and you know, for me, I again, I had a, a wonderful mentor in my my person who brought me into this business. But I had great mentors growing up. My dad, my grandfather, my mother were were just terrific influences in my life, and for me, they lived by you know pretty strong core values and. Um, I've been the beneficiary of being around that growing up, and it is the essence of, I think, who I am. 
And so being able to push that through the organization, to use that as the cornerstone of who we hire and why we hire them, um, that serving with integrity matters, that not disappointing our clients matter, um, doing things in a way that reflects the best version of us in the most authentic and fair and balanced way is important to me. And it should be important to everyone who works here. And I do believe that it is. So part of my job is to create that culture um, in terms of doing that. And I think our people live the mission statement that we have because it's also who they are. Yeah. And, and, and that when you can find that kind of alignment, um, I think you can go out and do great things and they can represent the company and what our brand and what we stand for in, in really great ways. Could you give me some examples of some of the projects that you've kind of brought to life um, that reflect those core values? Sure, I'll be happy to do that. Um, we have done a great many buildings in in multiple sectors of the marketplace. So we focus, do a lot of office building work, um, which is, as you know, today is going through an interesting transition of what does the office look like going forward. But that has been uh, one of our key areas. So we have done new corporate headquarters. We've done new operations centers. We've done things that the impact of what happens in those buildings is what matters most. The architecture sometimes is amazing and awesome, and I think that's great. And we do get to change skylines, and, and that's a very fun and tangible thing to do. But how you transform a company's culture and how they work and what they do is particularly satisfying. As you build amazing research and healthcare facilities, knowing that the research and the care and the things that are going on in those buildings, it's about the impact of who they are serving in what it is that we're doing. We gravitate to projects like that. We run to those because they speak to us and what we're trying to do in the work that we do in building great buildings is what is the impact of what's happening inside that. We do a lot of work for nonprofits. Um, some of our, I'll say, most touching projects are probably some of our smallest projects. But our people feel a high alignment to a school of autism or to a organization that only serves the underserved um, in those ways. and. While they are not the biggest and most glamorous projects, they are tremendously impactful. Our people raise their hand for those projects because they know that they really do begin to speak to the essence of, of what we're trying to accomplish through the buildings that we build. I, love that. I absolutely love that. Um, uh, kind of on that note, I'd like to talk more about your own career. You mentioned um, having wonderful influences and mentors in your life. Um, but also, um, considering the nonprofit aspect of work, what are your sort of inner motivations that have one brought you to where you are today? What has that career journey looked like? Um, and why is it something that you hold so closely? Well, I, I first started out working for a large corporation coming right out of college, your university. Um, and I learned a tremendous amount, um, about what I'll call the corporate lifestyle and, and the benefits of understanding the right sales techniques of the things that you do. And while it was 
wonderful to work for this large organization and had an enjoyable experience. I realized that my dad and most of our family friends were all entrepreneurs um, who owned their own businesses. And there was a very direct correlation between their work effort, their integrity, their word um, to the outcomes that they had, good or bad. You had to live with both sides of that. So there was a very high correlation. And so for me, I found that to be something that I didn't necessarily have while working for a large corporation. And so when I had the opportunity to start my own business and drive hopefully that same behavior throughout our organization that our our customers and our clients could see, that our community could see, for me, that felt like a way to accomplish a wonderful business model, but at the same time, try and make the community a better place and maybe the people that we touch, whether they are clients, customers, or our own employees, or the subcontractors we work with, the design entities we work with, even the localities we work with. I hope the experience with us is a different one um, and one that they choose to seek out. And if we can create that atmosphere and that brand for ourselves, um, then I think people take a lot of pride in that. And for me, when I see others grow, develop, mature, and speak about their career or our company in a way with great pride, very motivating for me. I absolutely love that. Um, I'd like to kind of dive a little bit deeper into that. With your expertise, when you look at um, the construction industry overall, and I think also taking into consideration that 2023, coming off uh, the sort of um, stability, if I can call that, after the pandemic, while also facing its own market turbulence, what are the sorts of challenges that you're experiencing um in the industry at the moment? I would say the, the good news about when COVID hit was that in the United States market, 2008, 2009, we had a pretty severe downturn that lasted several years. And I would say if there was a lesson learned for me, it was not necessarily knowing which levers I needed to pull at that time to control cost to have a plan that in the event of a sudden and severe downturn, that we knew which steps to take in order to both preserve the company, our people and the capital and the things that you need to do. Um, when the revenue spigot is, if not turned off, turned way down, you know, you've got to get very smart and creative. So we learned a lot in that economic downturn and we fortunately fared, you know, reasonably well through all of that. So when COVID hit, we were much better prepared to deal with quickly, and I'll say in a more nimble fashion, knowing what to do in order to deal with this business disruption that came along. Um, so while they were different challenges, we were fortunate that construction was viewed at this time a an essential industry and could keep working. So we were fortunate. But you had supply chain issues, you had real manpower challenges, you had infectious control and disease, you know, type of protocols you had to put in place. And so doing a lot of healthcare work that we do, we actually were really well prepared for that. And we just simply took some of those measures from our large healthcare projects 
and push them across the organization um, that, in guidelines. So again, I think the collaboration we could pull from our various team leaders of these different business sectors on what to do and how to do it and push that across and in turn create training and development and be a resource not only for our subcontractors and our owners, but really for the community to come in and look at, well, how are they doing this and how are they doing it well? And why is their incident rate so low? We were able to demonstrate, I'll call them some best practices that served us and our people well, but also we could extend that out beyond the direct reach of our company. When you look back on 2023, what have been some of the highlights of this year? 2023 has been um, a great year in, in several ways. We have recently just completed one of the largest cross-laminated timber facilities um, in the United States, which is, I'll say, the next step in that sustainable journey that we are doing. And it's in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. Um, we've moved our Charlottesville office to that new building. So we've invested in a building that we are um, developing and building and, and now occupying along with other tenants in the building. Um, that's created an interesting dynamic in the company in terms of people seeing us going far beyond just building the building, but really becoming a part of that in what we are doing. Um, we have done and continue to do a lot of work in the leadership development area. Um, and as a matter of fact, we hold, uh, we have leadership classes that we run through the organization and we'll do them in multi-day stints. Um, actually teach one of those classes on uh, relationship building and ethical leadership and the things that we do. Being able to share that with the folks in our organization and watch our next generation of leader begin to emerge and give them the opportunity to take the reins on a number of issues. Those are really fun things to do right now. Um, at first you, you grow a business. Um, then all of a sudden, I think you learn that you, your business is not just a series of projects that are strung together, but you've got a business strategy and an approach and things you're trying to do. And you're working on the business, not in the business. And now we're reaching the stage where it is fun to develop the next generation of leader and begin to put them in positions where they can really have a meaningful impact on the organization. And for us, 23 has been a lot of that type of work. As a leader yourself, what is your sort of outlook on what it takes to be a great leader? I think probably the most underrated um, attribute is the ability to truly listen. Um, I think if you can truly listen and if you can learn as a leader, if you ask better questions, you'll get better information and you listen for those things. Um, there are a lot of smart people in our organization and because you have a leadership role or title, certainly doesn't mean you have all the answers. But if we can create the kind of environment where that information is shared freely or we tackle challenges and opportunities collectively, then I think that's important. I think being truly strategic and thinking about where we're going, not just this year and next year, but where are we going in five years and 10 years and maybe 30 years? Um, what is our North Star? 
um, and how do the annual business plans and activity and hiring and things that you do support that longer term journey? Um, recognizing it's not a linear line, right? It is. It is a, sometimes a meandering path, and market dynamics and industry changes and things that happen force you to be creative and nimble. And I think that's the other attribute I would say is important. You need that overarching vision uh, that is enduring, that's, that stands the test of time, but you've got to understand how to maneuver through that based on the realities of what's happening long after you per perhaps put that plan in place. Absolutely. Um, looking towards 2024, uh, what are you most excited about, about the new year? The new year has us um, taking some significant leaps in our development company um, and something I started five years ago um, as another way to better serve our clients. We don't just build buildings. We're now in a position to be able to buy land and own and develop and finance buildings in part uh, in partnership with clients or as a true fee-based developer or as you know a long-term owner um, mostly to try and create better answers for our owners um, i've learned a long time ago um, it's never about us it's always about the client and and what is it that their needs are and how can we better serve those and so i see great opportunities in our development company we have some really significant projects on the construction side in the advanced manufacturing world um, that look pretty spectacular. Um, we do a lot of work in college and universities and some very exciting, you know, kind of cutting edge projects for some universities in our area that I think will be will be really terrific. And then we will continue our leadership development um, and again, creating new opportunities for people to to lead, um, hopefully under the watchful guiding uh, eyes of, of myself and others um, to help develop them to be the next generation of owner and leader of the company. Brilliant. Brilliant. And then also kind of, you know, tapping into what you mentioned earlier about um, having that sort of long term goal. Um, where would you like to see the business in 10 years time? the brand and reputation that this organization has developed over time is to be the trusted advisor in in the markets that we serve here in virginia and we do travel with our clients and go outside of, of virginia but i think we'll be in new geographies i think we'll be in new sectors um, and it will be for us to hopefully be that remain that trusted partner and advisor to those clients we, that we serve and the markets that we serve perhaps with a bigger footprint, perhaps with um, new markets that are emerging in the advanced manufacturing world, in the data center world, in the life sciences, um, as this part of the world continues to get better and better with those things to do that. And then to maintain and hopefully enhance um, our position in the community as a community leader and a community, a good corporate citizen, that does everything it can outside of our day-to-day -day jobs to make our regions better than we found them when we started. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Mark. And with that, that's all from us. 
it has been an absolute pleasure to host this podcast over 2023 and i am so excited for what we have to bring in the new year so definitely stay tuned watch the space um because there are going to be some really great changes um and i am really <laughs> if i haven't said that enough really excited for the new conversations that we'll be having next year uh, for the great ways that we can learn from other leaders in the industry and to be able to share those stories with you so find us on linkedin youtube spotify wherever you get your podcasts and we will see you next year from all of us over here at inspiring industry thank you and we'll see you in the next episode this podcast episode is brought to you by fine Light media inspiring industry is written and hosted by Danielle Champ. Our sound engineer and videographer is Gavin Mitchell. Lee Prothero is our creative lead and he's joined by Jamie Alvin, our graphics designer. Rosie Clegg and Sarah Rudge are our digital marketing executives. And we'd like to extend a special thanks to our assistant editor, Mary Float, and our editor, Libby Hammond. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode were solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Finite Media and its team.